Good evening, everyone. It's a joy to be here amongst you again, and uh, we trust that the, the Lord will bless our time together as we hear what God is doing elsewhere. And, and um, we do hope that it is a time of encouragement as we hear that God is still on the throne and that uh, the gospel is still advancing and, and, uh, and our, our Lord is still worthy of our trust and our adoration. So I hope that, that you'll be encouraged as you hear what God is doing elsewhere. I want to first of all um, uh, give my gratitude to the leaders of the church here for hosting this and allowing us to come and, and, uh, and share with you. Um, we don't take that for granted. So thank you very much. And as I said, I'm sure we'd be delighted to speak to uh, others. I know that there are other churches represented here, so please, we'd be delighted to uh, speak to you and renew acquaintance again after the service. But as I said, we want to encourage you, but I think the best place that we can be encouraged, of course, is always in God's word. And so before Igor would come up and speak to us about what is going on in, and the situation in Ukraine, I would like to just turn to God's word and uh, share uh, and consider one or two very important truths. So if you don't mind, can you please turn to the book of Psalms and let's read Psalm 11. So, or, or if you don't have your Bibles with you, not a problem, I will be reading. I'm reading from the ESV, but don't worry, I'm sure it's very close to your house. So Psalm 11, and we're going to read the whole Psalm. Psalm 11, verse 1, to the choir master of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, for they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, though the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. I wonder how you feel things are going as you read your newspapers and listen to the news. As a Christian, how do you feel when you come across the ideas of now, what is now considered right and wrong on our radio, on our TVs and on social media. There was a time when the Christian worldview was the norm and a certain ethical standard was accepted. But not today. Not now. Instead, now we have the infidelity of celebrities being openly celebrated. Now we have the madness of the trans movement seemingly being accepted by anyone of influence. And now we have biblical Christianity increasingly being labelled as an extreme position that needs to be silenced. And with all of this happening and so much more, you'd be forgiven for wondering what's going on. As a Christian, you'd be forgiven for feeling isolated and vulnerable. And therefore, you'd be forgiven for asking the desperate question that we find in verse 3 of this psalm. Which is, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And make no mistake about it, that question was desperate and it was very real. 
We don't quite know when David wrote this psalm. Some point of the time Saul was determined to kill him in order to prevent him from becoming king. Others point to the rebellion led by Absalom when David's whole life and kingdom was in mortal danger. Truth be told, we don't really know. But whenever it was, it's clear this was a desperate time. Hebrew language makes clear that when the questioner refers to the foundations in verse 3, they're referring to the whole basic structure of their society. In other words, this was a time when everything they held dear was under threat. When their whole world was being turned upside down, when the very basis of their life and thought and belief seemed to be at the very point of destruction. And the advice that David receives from his well-meaning counsellors is to flee. The advice is get out of there. The advice is take matters into your own hands, act now before it's too late, and save yourself. And you can feel something of that desperation in these opening verses, can't you? So look again, David's told, flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here we have the picture of the wicked having the upper hand. They seem to be in complete control and there's nothing that the righteous can do to change things. So in the face of such overwhelming odds and apparent certain defeat, the advice is get out of there. Look after yourself because all hope is lost. Of course, as you can tell, the psalm is set in the context of physical danger. There are actual enemies who want to destroy David. And so you might well ask, well, what has that got to do with us? I'm sure you can understand it's got a whole lot to do with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. But, I'm, but we're not in Ukraine. So what's all this got to do with us? Because no one is going around putting an arrow to the bow, or if you want a more modern day picture, no one is going around putting a gun to our head. And that is true, as I said, for us at least. But still as you read this psalm, what we maybe can share with these opening verses is that sense of hopelessness. That sense of despair. That sense of things changing for the worse and us not being able to do anything about it. And that can be especially true as we think about living for God when our culture has so dramatically and so obviously turned against him. I'm sure we can all think of loads of ways in which our culture has turned away from God. So for example we're told that Christianity's influence in society is diminishing and that it is claimed is a good thing. We're told that if you do believe in Jesus Christ you must keep it a strictly private affair and in no account must you let your Christian faith influence your public morals. And the reason for that is because we're constantly being told the Bible is outdated, it's irrelevant and it's unhelpful. So it's no wonder there are times when some Christians can feel threatened and insecure. There's no wonder when we can ask the question, what's going on? Because there are times when we feel the foundations of our Christian lives do appear to be under attack. And it seems there's not a whole lot that we can do about it. Well, if you've ever thought like that, then you really need to learn the lessons of Psalm 11. Because yes, we have the famous question of verse 3. But what's really helpful is the way that David deals with that question. Because when it's asked, what can the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed? The answer David gives is... Well, it depends on how big your God is. 
In essence, he says, if you have a small God, then you have a big problem. A big problem that in the face of such overwhelming opposition does lead to despair, fear and hopelessness. But if you've got a big God, then that changes absolutely everything. And as you read on through the psalm, we can see that David has a very big God. So it might look like evil men are winning and the foundations of everything of value is being destroyed. But look at what David says about God in the first part of verse 4. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. That was the source of David's confidence. He wasn't ignoring the great difficulties he faced, but he knew God was on his throne. And he was depending on this all-powerful, all-holy and all-knowing God. Did you notice that David does make the point that God is all-knowing in verse 4? So some might be concerned that God doesn't know what's going on. After all, in verse 2 we're told the threats and dangers are hidden in the dark. But David says, God sees. God knows. And furthermore, he says, God cares. So just take a look at the strength of the language used in verse 5. We're told God hates the wicked. So it's not that God is indifferent or unconcerned. No, he is passionately against those who do wrong, which of course naturally leads to verses 6 to 7. For if you're dealing with a God who rules, a God who sees, and a God who cares, well then you really do expect this God to act. And that's exactly what David anticipates. So look please at verses 6 to 7. In words that remind us of the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, David speaks of God's judgment on the wicked. And he says, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. What's David looking forward to? He's looking forward to complete vindication. As God once and for all acts in judgment and deals with those who oppose his ways and his people. You know, when I read verses like this, I can't help but think of men I know who served the Lord under the brutal communist regime in Romania. Being a Christian in the old Soviet Union uh, meant trouble. It didn't matter where you were, it meant trouble. But it has to be said the Ceausescu regime was particularly brutal. He opposed the Church of Jesus Christ and caused no end of trouble for the people of God. If you were a Christian in Romania under communism, it cost you. I've spoken to some church leaders and they told me that on one occasion Ceausescu came to the city of Aradia. And in Aradia there was a church who had known revival during the communist regime. Which, when you think about it, is quite incredible, isn't it? It reminds us, that fact alone reminds us that God is on the throne. But God moved in an incredible way and people were being saved and for years, even decades, the authorities just didn't know what to do with the church. No matter what they did and no matter how difficult they made things for the Christians, the church just kept on growing. Well, on one occasion it was said Ceausescu was in Aradia and he passed the church And I was told, according to newly released documents, he turned to his officials and he said back then, I never want to see that church again. When I return, I want it gone. Now you have to understand, Ceausescu was a man who believed he had complete power. He was someone who believed he could do whatever he wanted. And so in August of 1989, he pointed to that church And he said, I never want to see it again. 
it must be removed forever. What happened? Well, he gave the command in August 1989, and those of you who know your history will realize that year is significant. Because by December 1989, Ceausescu was dead, communism had fallen, and this evil man was no more. And the church never saw it again. But what happened to the church? Well, the church is still there. Far bigger today than it was before. Because Emmanuel Baptist Church is still there and still faithfully preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does the old chorus that I at least grew up with say? God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. What does all that mean for us? Well, I suppose the obvious question we must ask ourselves is, how big is your God? I began by asking you how you felt as you looked around at the way our culture has abandoned Christianity from man-made morality. But I think this psalm is calling us to leave aside our feelings. It's encouraging us to stop being overwhelmed by our circumstances. And instead it's telling us in this country to refocus on the size and the greatness and the majesty of our God. And friends, we do need to do that. For let me repeat, if we have a small God, then we really do have a big problem. Because the danger is these fearful counsellors in the opening verses of this psalm, when faced with severe opposition... We may be like them. They said, flee to the mountain. They, say, they ask in despair, what can the righteous do if the foundations are, are destroyed? And we could be like them. Which practically means we will be quiet. We will keep our heads down. And we will eventually compromise and conform. For those with a small God do not remain faithful under communism. They do not remain faithful in the midst of a war zone. And we would be naive to think that they would remain faithful under the growing pressure of secular militant humanism. But if our God is big, if we know our God rules and sees and cares and acts, then that will make all the world of difference. For like David, we will then be able to say, in the Lord I take refuge. Like David, we will say we will not allow circumstances to define us or silence us. And we will not, like David, we will know the blessings that come from honouring and remaining faithful to this great God. And so the critical question I must leave you with is, how big is your God? Does he rule? Does he see? Does he care? And do you believe one day he will act? Well, if that is your God, and let me say it should be, well then don't despair about the madness of our culture. Instead, please be encouraged, because ultimately there is no need for us to be pessimistic about the future. Instead, the need is for us to stand firm on the truth of his word and not to give in to the veiling ideas of our society. God is still on the throne. He does remember his own. And the promise from this psalm is, one day we will behold his face in all of his glory. 
Well, friends, with those truths in mind, let me now take the opportunity just to share a little bit, very briefly, about the work of Minister of SGA before I ask Brother Eager to come up and talk about <laughs> a very real situation. Now, as I know, as this church here and those other churches that are represented here, uh, that you are strong supporters of SGA, and therefore you know about us, but let me just quickly remind you that what we seek to do is equip the local church in Eastern Europe, Central Asia and Far East Russia so that they can reach their own people with the gospel. And as we do that, I think there are four core areas of ministry that define our partnership in these different countries. And we usually sum up those four core ministries with the phrases training workers, sponsoring leaders, publishing literature and distributing aid. And as you can imagine, those phrases and ministries have the potential to cover a huge amount of work because working in partnership with local Christians can lead to many different types of ministries that are done in many different types of ways. But that commitment also has the potential to bring us into so many different types of, uh, part, bring us into partnership with so many different types of people. And one of those individuals that God has brought us into relationship with is our brother Igor Bandura, who's with us today. Um, we are so grateful that he was able to, to join us and be with us. He has taken time out of an incredibly busy schedule. And he's just been one of those key individuals that has been at the heart of the Christians' response to the horrors of the war in Ukraine. And, you know, so many here know what that means. We've seen him on Zoom. We've been praying for him as an individual. And now we've got the opportunity just to hear from him as he speaks about God's people there. Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's such a blessing to be with you tonight, to be with people who, among all their business and all their own problems, have time and have a little bit of space in their heart to remember Ukraine and to pray for Ukraine. On last Saturday, we have remembered the second anniversary of the war that Russia started against Ukraine. Today is 737th day of the war. We count each of them. Because every single day, our people experience horrible things. It's tragedy when neighboring country with such hatredness would like to destroy us completely to make us slaves, to get our freedom to live, freedom to worship God. For us, it is an existential threat. People are exhausted, people are tired. Many people very close to the edge of hopeless. And this is why churches in Ukraine and churches who pray for Ukraine all around the world are so important to bring the message of hope, to preach messages like we just have heard from Mark. What can we do when evil people come to destroy all the foundation, when our own fears tell us, run away, save your life, save your family, Run away. We should stop. We should 
bring our fears, our confusions, our hopelessness to God. To look at Him again, to see Him big, great, faithful, merciful, just, just, and stay and minister to our people and to bring them the message of hope. This is what I would like to highlight tonight. It would be completely impossible for us as Ukrainians and for us as Ukrainian Christians to live, to minister, to fight for two years unless millions of our brothers and sisters all around the world have been praying for us daily, faithfully. And I am here tonight to say thank you. Today I would like to say that we need your prayer support as never before. The situation is very tough in our country, in the front line, and we feel our main calling, our main task as pastors, as Christians, to keep hope alive. To keep hope alive. Tonight I would like to share with you some, several moments of our experience just for last two weeks. And first, I would like to share something personal. This is a photo of the vomit from the explosion near the place I live. You know, we have bombings, drone and missile attacks almost every day and every night in different parts. And the city where I live, Irpin, became a battlefield from the very first day of the war when Russia was approaching Kyiv. We had to evacuate all our families, our church, our staff from Ukrainian Baptist Union to Western Ukraine. And when we came back after four months, when our city was released, Kyiv was never taken, we have found that 70% of all our buildings were either damaged or destroyed. And infrastructure was completely destroyed. And it took at least one month to get electricity back. They started from electricity because without electricity you have nothing. No water, no gas, no internet, nothing. So life is started to come back to our city. Families started to come back to the city. It was a great joy to see morning traffic jam, jam in our city. Would never think I would be happy to see so many cars coming to Kyiv, people go to work. But that night, on February 15, this missile sent by Russians, by the way, built in North Korea, this is what our military people have found when they inspected what was left. It exploded terribly close to my house. Sergei, a member of my church in Irpin, testified. A plane shot down a missile near our house. It sounded like a plane. To say that it was loud is to say nothing. The house bent down and stood in place. We thank God for protecting us. 
What can save from such explosion? Only the mercy of God, which diverts the rockets from the houses where people live. It was sent not to hit a place in the close forest. It was sent to destroy our houses. And only the mercy of God that night protected us from death. We hear a terrible sound. People were frightened. But then we realized everybody was safe. God diverted this missile and he saved us. But you know, drones and missiles often reach their goal. And then people die and are maimed. Families lost their houses, their homes, and everything they own. Every day and every night. We hear sirens warning us of a possible missile attack. As a rule, everything is stopped and people run to bomb shelters. If you don't have time to run to a bomb shelter, there is a so-called two walls rule. It is at least some kind of protection. Do you know what is two rules, two walls rules? I was explaining to Mark what it is, and then we have found that in his house there is no such a place. <laughs> you know, two rules are two inside rules. Usually in, in Ukraine, in the buildings or apartment buildings, the most safe place is either toilet or shower place, because it's always inside, and it has, if outside walls will be damaged, you can be still safe inside of two walls. So you, you run there. So this is what, what people experience. You know, like, I go to bed every night, and I pray, and honestly, I stop to, to ask this question myself and again and again, but sometimes I remember this. And I said, what if drone or missile would hit my house tonight? And then you feel like you are tired to ask this question to you, yourself again and again. Because your life becomes like madness. You cannot live under constant stress, fear of death. So we just run, we just work, we live. But again and again, sometimes you think, what if? And then you pray, you go to bed. You get up early in the morning and found that you had a good sleep and you didn't hear the sounds. <laughs> and then you read news and you say, wow, drones were flying around. So this is why it is so important to be a church that keep hope alive. This is why it is important, pastors, Christians, we all experience the same. I have heard the same sound of this terrible explosion like my neighbors. They were afraid. I was afraid. They have relatives to, to be afraid of. I have four kids and two grandchildren now. 
In my house, it's like life is bright every day from the morning up to the evening. My grandson is one year old and my granddaughter is ten months old. I have full joy every day. But then, there we have deaths, life and deaths. But you know, there is a difference. I can rely upon God. And this is my test to speak with my neighbors, with people in our city. There is hope in God. Yes, the war is terrible. Yes, we, can, we, we cannot tell when, it, when, where, how it would be finished. We cannot tell who would survive to the end of this war. But still we can share this God. We can pray. We can come to Him. We can trust our life lives into His hands. And even if something would happen with us, we have the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And this makes complete difference. One of our European City Council members decided to ask citizens of our city and found who was helping to people in our city the most for the last two years of the war. And we didn't know about that, but he called to us and said, may I come to your church for your Sunday church service and give me five minutes, I would like to speak with, to address to people. Of course, we invited him, he came and he shared that story that they decided to make this research. And they were shocked with the result. 90%, not 19, 90% of all people in Irpin said Irpin Bible Church was the most helpful to people for the last two years. That, that, that was that was unbelievable, but that was so encouraging. This is what outside people from outside the church say. Such a glory to our God. So this is what we try to be: people and churches who keep hope alive. Another moment I would like to share with you is another terrible situation in Kharkiv. Kharkiv has more than a million people and it is very close to the border with Russia. Kharkiv is under constant shelling and there is nothing to protect because the distance is very, very close. So, in the recent Russian attack on Kharkiv, a family was killed. Husband, wife, and three children, seven and four years old and ten months old. And somebody made this collage. It's not a fantasy. It is about the real story, but the artist made it symbolical. When family was caught in a fire, they tried to get out, but they couldn't. And when rescuers found the body of a mother, they found that she was dead and two of 
her kids were dead and she was hugging them. This is how they died. The, the remains of the youngest were never found. The power of the fire turned his body into ashes. It's just one of the tragedy. Terrible. But the number of families that were killed or lost, children lost their parents, parents lost their children, husband lost a wife and a child and stay alone. You cannot read this story without tears. And you understand how powerful and realistic is the evil that came to us, came to save us, but basically to save us from our lives. Russia is a terrorist state. Russian soldiers came to kill Ukrainians, and their goal is the complete extermination of Ukrainians. Again, there are several Baptist churches in Kharkiv. Again, they are in the same desperate situation. They minister to people. We provided mobile kitchen, and they go every time there is explosion, they go there to be close to people, to relatives, to provide some food, some support. And of course, prayer and the word of God. Another moment I would like to share is with you is what I call Cargo 200. There is a saying, with your shield or on it. And this phrase goes back to ancient Sparta, where fallen heroes was probably carried from the battlefield on his shield. So you either go back after victory with your shield, or you are dead and your friends bring you back home on the shield. So this is a new ministry, on the shield. Cargo 200. 200 means somebody is dead. When you see the van with this sign, Cargo 200, means this man is bringing dead body of Ukrainian soldiers back to his family. Alexei is the owner of a small transport company. He's a member of my church, he's a member of my home Bible study group, and this little company helped him to make money for his family before the war. When the war started, he gave part of the cars to transport the bodies of dead Ukrainian soldiers. Over time, dozens of volunteers from other churches joined him. Two days ago, when I was sharing this in another church, one man came to me and said, I know about this ministry. I went to Ukraine several times and I am a member of one of these volunteer teams. Whenever you see a van with this sign cargo 200 you see the sign of grief which is headed to another family 
and as a young widow, more orphans, more bereaved parents who have to bury their sons and their daughters before they die themselves. This ministry is growing because more and more people are killed and it is very difficult but Christians are among the first ones to come to the family and bring the body of the loved ones to them. What would you say to family? Usually in our culture and in your culture it's a policeman job to knock the door and bring the terrible news or a doctor after operation if it was not, was not successful but in our situation very often these Christian brothers Christian men who pray and go and try to find words to comfort the family to share the gospel with them to pray with them and then churches develop ministry to young widow, widows, to orphans. This number, unfortunately, is growing and growing. Who would keep hope alive for these people? Christians. And the last story I would like to share with you is a story about Pastor Vladimir Semenov from Selido. He is a very simple but very straightforward pastor, evangelist. He loves people. He ministers to people doesn't matter what. His city is about 30 kilometers from the front line. On the night of February 15, a Russian rocket completely destroyed the home of where he and his family used to live. Services of the local church were held in the second part of the same premises. So, on this uh, left part of the picture, you see what remained from his house. Nothing. And just the other part was a church premises, where the church meet. And only windows and doors have been damaged. But that part of the building remained safe. The pastor and his family were away from home that night, so now they are all safe and good. Pastor Volodymyr says, sports suit and jacket, that's all I have, that's all that remain. This is his testimony. February 15 is my other birthday. After several nights of heavy shelling and destruction, the family said to me, we are not staying this night. We are spending the night with relatives in an apartment. The apartment is located a few kilometers from the house. And then Pastor Vladimir continued, I thought about staying, but my grandson came up, he is four years old, and says, Grandpa, I will not go without you. Well, looking at him, I thought in my heart, I would go with them. At least I get some normal sleep. And most importantly, I would be with my grandson. I would comfort him. We arrived there and go to bed. Then we were awakened by the loud sound of explosions. Then at 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a call from there. A shell got into our house. There was a fire. I arrived quickly. 
Indeed, our home, a solid concrete house, was completely destroyed. The ceiling merged with the floor. If we were there, there was no chance of survival. But God brought us out. At the same night, another Russian missile destroyed a local hospital. Three parents died. An eight-year-old boy, his mother, and another pregnant woman. Twelve people were injured, including four children. The next Sunday, I mean in three days, Pastor Vladimir was back to church. He was standing at the pulpit, sharing his story with his people, promising never leave them alone and preaching about God's faithfulness and his salvation. If you look to these statistics, you will see the situation with our pastors in, and our churches at the occupied territories. More than 300 our churches, and there are 2,300 churches in our Baptist Union in Ukraine. About 300 churches are at the occupied territories. More than 100 churches stopped to exist because everybody left. We have pastors who left, but we have pastors who stay and continue to minister in the most difficult time of occupation. We have churches that, church buildings that have been taken by Russians and used for military purposes. We have churches that have been completely destroyed. But God continued to use pastors because they are a key instrument of God's grace and hope in the most difficult times. And you know, despite all these terrible sins, because churches is, are faithful and pastors continue their ministry, God is blessing our churches. In 2022, our churches baptized more than 3,000 new people that came to churches since the beginning of the war. And just recently we got the statistics for 2023, and this number is even bigger. So the gospel is powerful in the most terrible situation of our life. The gospel is working. People are saved. People are baptized. We, we lost churches, but our people planned churches. We lost several hundreds of pastors in Dickens when they left Ukraine with their families and spread all around EU countries, including UK. But you know what has happened? Now there are more than 100 new group and churches started by Ukrainian refugees in Europe. And they sent information about Salvations, baptism, and this group are growing. And now, honestly, we do not know what, what to expect because we want all of them come back as soon as possible. But from the other side in this situation, God is using them. More than 250 new pastors and deacons have been ordained for the last year. It means 
people are taking courage to take additional responsibility during the war time for other people. So, tragedy, tragedy, horrible sense from one side, from the other side. Because churches keep hope alive for themselves and for people. We see God's grace and we see how the gospel is promoted and we see how God continues to save people. If this is so, I would like to leave with you this great verse from the book of Hebrew. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Confession of our faith. Let's share the hope we as children of God have in Jesus Christ. This hope is much needed in war-torn Ukraine. It is needed here. It is needed everywhere. So let's confess our hope. And let me say this once again. We are so grateful to you for your prayers. Please, continue. This is the biggest ministry you can do for us during this difficult time. And may God bless you here and us there to see the day of victory. To see how God brings his justice back. To see just peace in Ukraine. And to see even more God glorified and his gospel spread for salvation of many people. Thank you.